is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic, D- dynasty. It, it's automatic, owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic, D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors, Chris Allen and A- A- Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, and welcome back. I'm your host, Chris Allen of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast, and we're here for the episode 14, and we have Kevin O'Brien with us of the FF Engineering Pod. And Kevin, again, we want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. And as some of the folks on Twitter might have noticed uh, before, I mean, just thinking about if you've seen Kevin's Twitter posts and you've seen some of the folks that he's talked to, I mean, there's a wide range of people that he's talked to. He's talked to folks within the fantasy industry. He's spoken to folks that are actually a part of the NFL, either being in the the media, agents, uh, things of that nature. So it's a huge event for us in order to sit down and talk with us. So again, Kevin, thanks for taking the time. And how are you doing this evening? Doing great, man. Kids are almost settled. Usually I record around 10 o'clock and give myself a little buffer. But with four kids, you try to get them all settled before we uh, do a podcast. But tonight we just made it, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes beforehand and uh, doing good. Feel good. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got three myself. So I've got two that just went down about a half hour ago. So I I heard some rustling a little bit ago, but I think we're okay for the evening. I think so. You know, let me say, guys, real quick. So, um, I consider myself more of a fan than and quote unquote analyst. And that's why I started my podcast was that I really wanted to ask the questions and interview the people that I thought weren't asking the right questions to these Titans. You know, when I have someone like Cynthia Freeland on, I want to ask her these certain questions because I'd hear her on a podcast and I'm like, why are you asking her about that? And it's like, I really want to hit on certain topics. And I basically started it basically thinking as a listener, what would I want to ask her? So when you get someone like even like Rich Rebar, who like can just, I don't know if you guys remember as kids, probably close to my generation, but that Micro Machines guy that was on the TV. Yes. Some of these guys can spit these stats so fast and you're like, whoa, 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 slow down, man. I'm like, my, I can't even write these notes fast enough, right? So then when I started my podcast, I was like, I, I literally with JJ retreat by do it i say hey slow down stop we're gonna go back (laughs) this is my podcast i want to slow you down i want to hit that point real quick so you know um and all this is to say i would sit down and talk to you guys about football whether we were recording or not and you know if we just guys that like football and sometimes it's hard to find co-workers that you you share interest with like you know i have one buddy that's in my home league with that is that I end up that I actually work with, but you know we share interests through the social media and everything else, and I just love talking about this stuff. It's awesome, yeah, without a doubt. And uh, Adam, I know you can probably attest to this as well. I mean, even though I think you're still re- wearing that ridiculous hat, aren't you? Uh, but regardless, 
Regardless, I know that uh, being a, you know, a Redskins fan and whatnot, I know it's probably easy for you to find other folks that can maybe commiserate or at least talk with you about like how the, how your team's going and whatnot. But have you experienced the same thing like, like Kevin's talking about? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll stop and talk to anybody about football and usually get in an argument with them about it, but it's really easy to, to get along with Redskins fans because we're all miserable. So we all have something in common. Yeah, I think that's the same thing. I mean, I'm from Ohio. It's either we've got the Bengals or the Browns, so you can get mad, or regardless of which Ohio team that you that you say that you support. So I'm, I'm kind of in the same the same bucket as you guys. But here we are this evening, Kevin, to really get with you and talk with you about uh, an article for DLF that you had written uh, quite some time ago. But I think it kind of encapsulates somewhat of the, I guess the the basic concepts of how you would approach building a dynasty league. And, or a dynasty roster, or rather. So before we get into the article itself, I wanted to at least get your take on a particular sentence that I saw in the article itself. And it talks about looking at teams in the three to four year window, and you're never trying to sacrifice the short term for the long term. So for you, I mean, is that something that uh, when it comes to looking at that that three to four year uh like that three to four year window, do you feel that there's any shortcomings after playing dynasty for so long? Do you think that there are any weaknesses to having that methodology? Uh, So no. And the reason I can say no is because the way I look at windows is that they're rolling windows. They're not three years. Then I quit the league. So when I talk about a three year or four year window, I'm talking about a rolling window. So um, say it's say like I say in 2014, you start a league and 2017, it's not a hard stop. So in 2015, it's also a three year window. So I'm just looking at in terms of like in the way I put in an article and the way I reference 401k is that everyone has to do a self-evaluation. When do you expect to get paid out? Right. So if you're 18 years old and starting a 401k, You've got quite a long time when you expect to actually get paid out. So you can have a longer quote unquote window. But if you're a 50 year old guy and you just started doing your 401k, maybe you need to get paid out a little bit sooner. So I think there's a self-evaluation that happens that says, I want to play in a three year window where I want to get paid out. So like, for instance, one of the leagues I'm in is a $250 FFPC dynasty league. Now, do I really want to punt year one? That's $250 down payment that I now got to punt into year two. Now that's a $500 investment banking on my punt year one strategy is going to actually work out. Or do I want to get, you know, the best roster I can even uh, 75% of the way there, then the next year I'm even closer. So it's just a philosophy that says, when do I want to win? When do I want to pay out? And what's my expectations for, what's deemed a dynasty, right? And I think that's very important that everyone takes into account. And for the comment part of this that you mentioned is never sacrificing the short term for the long and never sacrificing long term for short. The reason I say that is because there's a lot of characteristics that we can play with in our dynasty teams is age, assets, etc. And something I like to do is I'll like to look at the types of assets that I have on my team. Say, for instance, I have Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, and a relatively young running back. I can feel more comfortable trying to trade away my future first-round rookie picks because I have a 
young core that's very good. So yet next year, I'm not sacrificing the long term by trading away that first round pick because I expect those three young players that are my core to still sustain me as a young team going forward, right? If I had Antonio Brown, Julio, and AJ Green were my three core main assets, I'm less likely to trade away my first round pick because now I'm sacrificing the long term for the short. So do you know what I'm saying? So right. mm-hmm. a lot of people on Twitter like to use these like short term, quick hitter, you know, 10 word sentences that, oh, never trade away your first round pookie picks. Well, give me some context. What does that mean? You know, you never will do it. I mean, like I did last year, I did things like where situations that I talked about where I was willing to trade away my first. I traded away my first and Alshon Jeffrey and got Keenan Allen. I was able to upgrade a position, but I didn't get old. Everyone acts like you have to trade your first round pick for Fitzgerald. I don't, I don't get that mentality whatsoever. Adam, now turning over to you, I want to put you on the spot real quick. Is that a similar philosophy that you use whenever you're looking at your teams, like for, on a year to year basis? Sure, sure. I've probably been known to sacrifice a little too much to win now. Um, probably just trying to see that money so that I can pay for the future and, you know, do this hobby for free. But ever since talking to Kevin for the first time, I've been trying to go through and actually line up the 401k that you're going to be 401k that you're going to be learning about. And I'm learning a lot of what Kevin's talked about, in which now I'm trying to use a little bit of practical application and add my first to Doug Baldwin and try to get one of those premier young guys. I'm not sacrificing the future, as Kevin said, whatsoever. I'm actually banking on the future, but Here's the thing that I wanted to add to what Kevin said is that we know Keenan Allen future barring injury, but do you know your one tens future next year? You have these really, really smart people saying the class is loaded next year, but it's still a rookie class and they're still not guaranteed to pan out. So I actually think you're investing into that portion of your 401k way more if you're going to pair someone hitting 30 that's not going to last maybe too much longer like Doug Baldwin and a first that you're not sure about. And if you're competing, as we're alluding to, your first is going to be late anyways. So I think he really hit the nail on the head there where it's you're not sacrificing your future by trading that first. If anything, you're investing in your future more heavily by trading that first in that scenario. And that's interesting because I think when uh, the folks that I've that I've spoken to about trading away like their first round picks, it does seem like a lot of them not necessarily advocate for uh, trading for some of the older players or anything like that. But it does feel like at least on a at least from a ten thousand foot view, it does sound like oh, if you're trading away your first pick, you're giving away everything. I mean, it's such a high value asset. But it's like well, then if you're trading away a high value a pick. You should be getting a high value asset in return. So the folks that you're talking about, the assets that you're talking about, Keenan Allen, the Doug Baldwins of the world, those are high value assets that can provide you production immediately. So those should be your targets we're looking for. It doesn't have to be somebody on the caliber for, of Larry Fitzgerald. So I do think that sometimes what happens is the megaphone of Twitter takes over, right? Is that we shout louder against things like cancer than we do about the common flu because so and what i mean by that is people are shouting don't trade your first for fitzgerald they're shouting don't do the worst trade that you can possibly make but really you know most people aren't thinking like that that's probably 
10% of the way rookie picks get traded. Guys like me or Jacob Rickroad that think about using our picks as assets and then trading them away, we don't make trades like that. We don't allow ourselves or worry about those worst trades. I mean, people make bad trades. Nobody should make a bad trade. But when you think about trading your first-round rookie pick, you should look at them like assets that you have categories in your team that you can deem expendable. And if that's your first-round rookie pick or if that's a young prospect, like say you want to trade uh, Joe Mixon away, who's a young rookie last year, is still young, prospective quote-unquote blue-chip prospect, if you will, and you want to go and get someone like Golden Tate, that's fine. But in a vacuum, it sounds bad on Twitter because you've given up so much youth and people say that philosophy is completely trading away your future. And where I want to take pause to that comment is basically, well, maybe I have Dalvin Cook, Gurley, Kareem Hunt, Maybe I have three young running backs and I'm trading one away to get a little bit older at wide receiver. Am I really trading away in my future if I have such a young core? And I think that context really matters. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's a great primer for kind of hopping us into your article that you wrote. And again, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the article itself, I wanted to ask about how you came up with that particular analogy because, I mean, as folks obviously know, like, uh, you yourself, like you're you're an engineer by trade. So looking at comparing a dynasty assets to a 401k, how how would you how do you make that comparison? Like, can you explain the linkage between a dynasty roster and a 401k? Yeah. So the way I kind of I guess thought about this was from a roster construction standpoint, in that a long time ago I wrote an article about trading and dynasty trading and. I was thinking in terms of what's an expendable asset and and what do I want to get in return? And I started thinking in a value capital type game. And that type of process then evolved into thinking, well, there was this negative connotation about trading away for first round rookie picks and that it was such a bad idea. And what I really wanted to change the conversation to be was, like I discussed earlier, is that these are expendable assets, not necessarily um, core or main pieces of my portfolio. And I started looking at my roster like a portfolio. That eventually evolves into thinking about things like, when do I expect to get paid out, right? So this whole pun year one first year thing, started making me think, well, if you're punting $5 league or a $30 league, that's fine. You're investing and you're, you're just trying to build a team the way you want. And the $30 is just the cost of entertainment. That's fine. But that's putting an expectation that you're not really discussing that you're not expecting a payout. You're just building a team for fun. But there's other people who play a little bit higher stakes if it's $100 or $250 then the level of expectation of when you expect to get paid out is differently. And that philosophy started making me think that's what a 401k is. That's what our financial institutions, our personal financial um, portfolio is supposed to be geared towards is that we have these knobs where we say we want to take on more risk. What's our payment? When do we expect to get paid out? Like I discussed earlier, mm-hmm. if you're a young kid, you can take more risk and, Basically, if we apply all those fundamental parts to our dynasty teams, then I also want to say that if I have 50% of my core roster is my main core and 
thinking again about what's expendable. My expendable is taking risk. And in a 401k portfolio, you have these maybe small cap, really international funds that are something you can put a low amount of money. Stocks maybe would be an example. Anything small cap. So I can put like 25% of my portfolio in what I would say is my expendable funds. That if I lost the money, it's not really going to hurt my retirement account. Just like the same thing. If I have a core 50% of my dynasty roster and I have in a 25% pool, I have my first round rookie picks. If I trade away that rookie pick, what does it mean to my fun foundation of my uh, dynasty roster? You know, so I think that's how I started tying it. It really doesn't have anything to do with engineering. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I was trying to like, I guess, you know, fit, yeah, fit if you're together. trying to make those connections, you know, <laughs> I find, there find a lot of these guys that do fantasy football work, their day jobs have nothing, you know, it's like you expect, like, there's some guys out there, like, they do mathematical analysis for work and then they apply that to data. And yeah. I've done that a little bit too, but as far as this topic goes, it's completely off the rails. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about your allocations a little bit first. I just wanted to kind of touch on the fact that you mentioned you look at your players as a stock, and I've always tried to do the same thing. But to do that, you have to completely eliminate name association. Uh, for example, I love Darius Geis. Everybody knows I love him. I own him in probably 50% of the leagues by the time the year comes around probably own him in about 85%. But I find myself in trade talks with him time and time again with owners wanting that extra piece. Everyone knows by now that I love him. So the owners want that extra piece. Let me get that third round pick. Let me get Emmanuel Sanders. And initially I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Give me Darius Geis. That's not the case because he's not Darius Geis. He's a stock and he's worth what he's worth. And I'm not going to pay extra for the stock because I like the stock because it's a company that I like. Now, if you're willing to pay a little extra because you feel like it's a company that's going to grow substantially, then sure, you can justify it that way. But if you are paying extra because you are that adamant about getting a player, you're not looking at it as a stock and, and it's not going to fit into your 401k. So when we're talking about your allocations, we talk about that core 50%. That's going to be your guys like Adam Thielen, Russell Wilson, Allen Robinson, things like that. People that you would like to say are, are at the peak of their performance. That's the, the kind that I spend the most on. So what do you do to afford these players? Because, you know, you can't just go out and grab Allen Robinson right now for cheap. Sure. So the way I've typically built my teams is try to get as strong as a core as I can. So sometimes this is referred to as uh, studs and duds. And, you know, I just did a startup recently on FFPC that I had, I traded for an extra second round pick. So I got three early round picks where I got like Keenan, AB, and I think it was Julio. So something like that where I have a really strong core. And then after that, it allows me to get a little bit more um, youth, but that later in the draft. So sh I loaded up on like Docs and Shepard, things like that, where I don't expect these guys to necessarily hit top 24 or top 12 type numbers right away. But maybe they're a little bit, you know, um, high upside, um, former first round rookie pick type players that can backfill. So and the idea is that 
when you have characterized your roster such that you have certain like 30 year old guys or 25 year old guys. So say I pair Keenan with AB and these guys are at least have been the last couple of years where guys I can get in the first round and second round and they're not both costing you a first round startup capital. So you, you get AB, you get Keenan, but Keenan's still young enough where he's growing into that older premier can be a top five wide receiver type asset. And the idea is that you backfill. So you can backfill with, you know, some of the golden Tate, but then pair him with uh, Sterling Shepard or somebody that's a little bit younger that might ascend into a wide receiver two type production. And the idea is that you're turning it over, right? Like think about a business that has product lines, right? You want to have the Adam one, and then you want to be able to research the second product and have Adam two, right? You, you don't want to say, put all my funds in Adam one and hope we just make a ton of money and then we check out. You want to develop Adam two while you're selling Adam one, right? And you always want to be thinking about what's going to backfill. So when the cliff comes, and it will come with all of our teams, and if you've been playing long enough, you'll have guys retire on your roster. I've I've owned I've been around doing Dynasty long enough where I've had players like, you know, uh Matt Forte retire off my rosters backfilled by Devontae Freeman. I got Freeman for a second round pick. He's a perfect segue as Forte was retiring off of my teams and running him into the ground that Freeman was then picking up in the back and go on and on. MJD, AP Tony Gonzalez, you know, I mean, I've had all these guys aging off my rosters, but that doesn't mean I just turn a blind eye to where my team will be in three years. Gotcha. So if I'm real quick, if I'm understanding this correctly, if we're looking at just the 50% portion of your roster, these are players that we know their situation. We have at least some historical data on that they're able to produce at a high level. So you put them in that 50% allocation but then you notice or you track them, and as they continue to get older, I'm assuming that a player like you just mentioned, like Matt Forte, he was at some point a part of your in your 50% core, but then as he started to get older, he moved over to your 25%. Am, am I understanding that correctly? Sure. Uh, I neglected to talk about that out of the 25%. So I talk about the 50% of my core, 25% is my prospect. Rookie, rookie picks. The other 25% is my, what we would call in the, I guess, 401k terminology would be the large cap pay up for IBM. Maybe IBM won't grow a ton, but it's, it's known and it's going to live a life, maybe GE, you know, something like that, where it's old school and it's going to have some return. They're going to pay out dividends and you get something from them, but you don't expect them to grow much and you don't expect them to live that long. So, you know, Fitzgerald, Doug Baldwin, Gore, you know, these guys would be sitting in that 25%. And just like you just put it perfectly is that at one time Gore was a top 12 running back for me in my war or Forte, or AP, or Jamal Charles. And as soon as he started fading or getting older, even if he was producing at a high level, like Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald is a great example because he's given you wide receiver one-type numbers. So high production, but low cost, and he's in your 
um, large cap fund, if you will, that 25% where you expect them to age out of the league. And, you know, so as you constantly think about it, you're taking your players from your core, you're moving them on to the higher end, that large cup 25%, and then backfilling it with that other 25% that is your younger core, which for me was like Devontae Freeman, Keenan Allen, players like that. And you want those guys to come into your core as you're flushing out the older guys from your core. And I want to touch on both of your 25% allocations a little bit more, but we overuse the term high ceiling. We overuse the term upside. I would just say that they're ascending players. And what we're getting at here is guys like Kenny Stills, guys like Will Fuller, they're young. So we're looking for them to eventually get into that core of players. So what what specifically are you looking in the guys in that 25% that you're looking to, to expand? Um, so for prospects wise, it depends on whether I've drafted young or not. Do I have a, a bunch of like Devontae Parker, Sterling Shepard? Am I holding my hat on like a John Ross or Will Fuller? Who do I have in that pool that's a already on my roster player? But also what picks do I have? So there are cases where I have teams that I do end up with multiple first just because I got a sweetheart deal, you know, I mean, it it happens just, you know, if the opportunity comes, I will take on that asset. And if I have two first round rookie picks, then I do try to maybe trade away a player and try to get a core. So there's different ways for those players to ascend. But generally speaking, I say all this, but I am, I do study film. I do rank rookies. I do do all that research and I still want to hit on these players. I think Juju Schuster, I got as a one twelve pick, uh, in one in actually Chris trial by fire that you just joined my league. Mm-hmm. I got Juju, uh, at the one twelve last year. <laughs> I got Fuller at one eleven the year before. So, um, there's ways to be competitive and winning and those teams have a B and, you know, older players, uh, maybe Tate, something like that. I do have older players, but I was able to hit my rookie picks. And, and so I still focus on what type of picks I want, what type of players I want. And I go after those guys, no doubt. I don't just punt and look at these as straight assets. I do try to evaluate and differentiate myself. Um, so I do target players like that. So I, I think that's trying to where you're going with that question, Adam. Sure. And then the last 25% that we're talking about is almost like the, the aging vets, or to me, they're diamonds in the rough. Um, what exactly are your expectation for guys like Larry Fitzgerald and Marshawn Lynch? Are you comfortable with them just dying on the roster if it means absolutely winning some money? Absolutely. Some? Absolutely. I, I don't fear the end. You know, uh, one of my favorite movies as a teenager was, um, I think it was Mark for Death. Steven Seagal, the fear of death is worse than death itself. You know, the fear of these players aging is worse than them aging themselves. Uh, I've had players like Forte run them into the ground. They give you okay upside, buy filler weeks, if you will. They're still valuable to your roster, and you don't have to cut bait just to get some value. The value is winning. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, we just need to 
kind of differentiate and and this is perfectly fine too and i put this somewhat in my article is that you know your version of getting paid out and my version of paid out can be different mine might be winning or championships yours might be accumulating assets that you might win in the future that your window might be five or eight years out just like a 401k each of our 401k is going to be a little bit different depending on your age and how much you're able to put into to your 401k and how much time you put into researching the, the picks and the players and all this stuff. So that can be different and that's fine, but I think it's perfectly okay to have a Fitzgerald and let them just, I call it running into the ground, you know, like you have an old car, right? Like, right. <laughs> I, you know, it's like, do you really want to trade in for like 200 bucks to get the new car or just run it into the ground and then get the new car. I mean, does the 200, $500 trading really get you anywhere? Uh, You know, just use the car and then, you know, save a couple extra payments and then go get the new car. So to me, it's fine. The, the only place I would really differentiate in that opinion was be that the, the nature of the way I'm building my rosters, I will never have too many people in that pool. So it's really important to emphasize that that pool is 25% or less. If you're less comfortable with these aging vets and you think that you don't want to have too many, put that number at 10% of your roster, just have a few players and let them age off. I don't want to have 40% of my roster aging out of my roster, right? That's bad. That's, you know, that's, leveraging your long term for short. So that's a key, right? Fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so just a quick recap, if I'm understanding all of this correctly. So if we want to look at full roster construction, so 50%, that goes to the players again that we know that know that they can produce. So like Adam had mentioned earlier, like you confirmed, Kevin. So the, the Russell Wilson's of the world, the Adam Thielen's, the Devonta Freeman's, those players that, Typically, if you're in redraft leagues, are going in the early rounds, like those yeah, guys. That's that you a good know way to put it. Yep. So if, yeah, so there's your 50 percent, your core players. 25 percent now goes to those high ceiling players. So players like Will Fuller, players like like a Kenny Galladay, somebody in that sure. realm that like you know that if they if they pop, it's going to be huge. But there might be some lean weeks, like somewhere in between. We're yeah. just looking for higher risk. High, absolutely. Yep. And then finally, the twenty, the final twenty-five percent would be some of those aging vets that we discussed: the Marshawn Lynch's, the Larry Fitzgeralds, players of that nature. And, sure. So, okay, so fifty, twenty-five, twenty-five. All and right. So that, that the only sense. the only asterisk I'll put in that is that that those percentages are generally how I build my rosters, and I'm perfectly okay with somebody else saying that I'm going to have that mid core at forty percent and. I'm going to screw up my math. I know it. 40, 30, 30, right? So uh, somebody can put 30. You can put more and older. If, or if you want to do 40, 20, 40, and you want to build up more youth, I'm okay with that. And a long time ago, what I did was uh, I call it opposition opposition research. So, Adam, I think this is big for you. And there's a little bit of advice. So someone that plays the way you do it's very important to characterize the way your opposition plays. And this took me a long time to realize in Dynasty because I probably philosophically align more with Adam, especially early on. But what I found was there are people building their teams differently than me, and I need to leverage that. Mm 
So there are people that like building up a younger roster and that's fine. And I want to leverage those people. I want to identify who they are, how they value those younger rosters. And I want to be able to target them specifically. That's important. The other part of this is that um, I guess let's, let's, let's use the case of an orphan. So let's say you're taking on an orphan team, which is something that I know you did in Trial by Fire. You're taking on a roster and you didn't build it. So if your foundation's going to look like something that wasn't yours. Mm-hmm. And this is important because you need to now take players that you think don't fit your roster or fit your philosophy. And you want to be able to target the other owners that build differently than you that might be looking to take on those players. So let's say you're a young guy or or a youth more centric kind of player where your younger pool of players is that 40%. You're going to bet damn well that I'm going to Adam and say, Hey man, I got like golden Tate here. You, you think he's pretty good. You think he can win you some money right now. Give me your first round pick. You know, so that's a that's a place where I'm going to target and know my owners and how they build their teams. Right. So that's really important. The other part of this, too, that I want to mention is you want to have respect for people who evaluate players differently than you. So a long time I realized that some of these youth guys were actually failed redraft guys that they weren't identifying the right old players. They were building even their redraft teams with bad older players and they were getting stuck with people that were falling off in midseason and then they have a negative opinion of those old players. So they weren't evaluating those players correctly and then they found a niche in how to evaluate rookies. So say, no, with no disrespect, Adam, let's just say you don't evaluate rookies as well as you think you evaluate a Golden Tate. You can I say, it. I see his consistency clearer than the other person. And vice versa, there's probably someone out there that says, I can pick Juju as the 12th pick in a rookie draft, but I don't know if it's Fitzgerald, Tate, or somebody else is the next Dwayne Bow. So they themselves have to know, I can't discern, is Jeremy Macklin at the end of his career? Is Fitzgerald at the end of his career? Because those ages are different, right? They're both getting old, but I can't choose which one is which. But I can choose which one is better, Geis or Royce Freeman. And you just want to respect your opposition that they might be able to differentiate those players better. So these percentages really should move based on your own abilities and you brought up so many excellent points that i want to touch on real quick first i want to start from a different perspective and i've talked about this on a few of our podcasts so far is kind of like a buddy system so not just so much finding somebody else that is say very young youth centric but finding somebody that's in a rebuild while i'm trying to to compete. So at that point, I don't have to go to them and say, well, you value youth too heavily. Well, no, maybe they're just constructing differently, in which case I would like to send them maybe some of my youth and allocate more to my core. And then they'll send me that golden tater or something like that. And then also, if you are going to play the way I would like to say I do, which is 
just your typical win now. That's when stocks and valuing your players as stocks becomes your defense mechanism. So you really need to stop looking at names and really start looking at values in that situation because you do get a lot of guys saying, hey, you look like you're going for the championship. Let me get your first for Golden Tate. And not saying that you never want to trade your first for Golden Tate, but I might poke around at a few other players first that might be a little younger and they're in the same tier because I'm big on using tiers. So it all comes full circle. And that's why we do this podcast. And that's why we use practical application because you can win now and win in the future, which is the whole reason of having you on by just valuing your players as a stock and really protecting yourself and, and the way you play the game. Absolutely. I reference the Patriots all the time. You know, I'm a Homer Patriots fan, but I look at them. You think Belichick says, oh, you know, um, Shane Vereen's getting too old. I got to cycle him out. And you say, okay, we're just going to give up. Okay, mm-hmm. Teddy Bruschi is going to retire at linebacker. All right, we're not going to draft another linebacker. We just give up. <laughs> we're just going to punt and trade away Brady. We can't <laughs> refill this. Rabel's gone. Ty Law's retiring. The defense is falling apart. Uh, let's just trade Brady. Do you think he does that? I mean, I don't right. understand this concept. I never, I you know, never give in, never keep fighting. Why would people give in and, and trade away all their assets? Trade away your assets and build a, a revolving door of your roster the way that I've described. And you really, you know, you should never come to a point where you've got to fold the cards in because you've, put all your chips in players that have retired without a doubt and uh just to take a quick break i wanted to talk with you guys real quick the folks listening on youtube and the folks that will be listening to the podcast later about a good friend addison hayes over at ffstatistics.com i don't know if you guys were able to catch addison posting over on the over on twitter earlier today but he is giving away one of the draft guides for two qbs so here's how you enter into into the drawing all you have to do is follow at 2QBs and also at FFStatistics underscore on Twitter and then retweet and also share the share the link that he has available for or the tweet rather so that other folks can see it. He'll announce the winner on Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to go ahead and get your name in there and see if you can pick up the 2QBs guide. I know a, a ton of folks that were able to contribute to it. I'm um, actually a couple of folks that we've actually uh, we've had on the podcast before, folks like uh, Bobby Koch, and then also I uh, believe, if I'm not mistaken, Peter Howard also contributed as well. A number of other fine writers. So be sure to go ahead and get your name in there, retweet, share, and do whatever it takes in order to get yourself in the drawing for that. So be very, very good uh, to, in order to get that material, and also to share the great work that Addison and actually his team of writers that have also come onto the site. Get the get some more word out there for them. So we're looking forward to seeing how that all develops. But before you move on, before you move on, I want to add on for Addison. So I got this running list of people to interview. Um, If people aren't familiar with my podcast, please look look out for it and check it out. I interview a wide range of guests, and I've been very fortunate to interview some quote unquote big hitters, right? And I I have a range of guests that are quote-unquote, low, low hitters to high hitters. I'll, I want to pick from everybody. And so I have a running list of people that I want to get to to interview. You know, I have a booking that I schedule some people, and then I have a list of people that I want to get to. Addison's definitely on that list. I got hit on Twitter. Somebody said, 
yo, FF Engineer, you really got to get this guy in your pod. I want to hear all about him. And I res- I respectfully replied and I said, you know, I have this running list. I want to get to him. You know, I know he's been on a couple pods. I know he's been on you guys' pod and he's been out there a little bit. And so I said, you know, I want to get to him eventually. Okay, I thought it would end there. I got inundated with people asking and retweeting, favoriting to get this guy on my podcast. So I was he's definitely taking him by storm, <laughs> and I respect the guy's work. Uh, and I'm going to say this. I'm not jaded just because he's using R. Uh, so if you guys don't know, he's using R <laughs> yeah. to do his website. So mm-hmm. I'm particularly favored to people developing an R as a coder myself. And uh, so, no, he's doing great work, calling all this data together and giving it in the, um, you know, I'm really big, like you guys say, practical application. I'm really big on, yeah, here's the data, but how do you use it? How do you filter it? How do you see it? How do you use it? Um, so, so I'm really big fan of Addison. He's doing great work and people make sure that you uh, get involved, retweet, Two QBs is awesome. I go way mm-hmm. back with Sal. So yes. that's that's great stuff anyway, but follow Addison on Twitter. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think uh Addison has been has been great. I mean, he's definitely we've wor- been working with him kind of behind the scenes to you know promote some of his work. And as you just mentioned, I mean he's kind of blown up over the last uh you know last month or so, so it really doesn't need Absolutely. much of a boost from us. But yeah, it'd be great to to see him uh, see you guys converse. So I really hope that you guys can make that happen. Uh, but back to uh, back to our uh, conversation. Uh, so if I could sum up real quick uh, the 50, 25, 25, and as you're mentioning earlier, uh, the fact that some of those percentages can shift in a simplistic view, would you say that uh, if you were to shift them based off of your own personal play style, it's about accepting risk? Is it would that be a would that be a like a good way to, to look at it? Sure. Absolutely. Where you want to leverage your risk and how much you want to take on. Right. So if so if you look at risk at least in the sense of an imbalanced roster, you know, are you okay with acquiring certain players in order to, I guess, essentially rebalance that roster? How would you mitigate that risk in order to get it into uh, I guess the roster to a state that you would be comfortable with using it? Yeah, so the first step taking off an orphan, before I answer your question directly, the first step in taking an orphan is to find out who has the expendable players that are similar to my philosophy. So, for instance, I would go out and I would look for people who accumulated younger players. So let's say I'm imbalanced in an older player pool. So say that that Larry Fitzgerald, Frank Gore, that bin was too big for me, for my liking. And I would go search out for these players that are competing they've had a really good roster but like say for instance they have too many roster spots filled with expendable players that are young rookies waiting for breakout um years ago Devonte adams was a big big one for me so i took a risk on on someone else's evaluation that adams was going to break out and i said okay you know hey let me trade away frank gore or forte or something like that were the two two three four years ago say two, three years ago, they could benefit from using that player while they were waiting out for this basically busted asset to eventually break out. And I give Jake Rickard the credit. I think he came up with it, but I have used it so much that I might just get to a point where I'm stealing it completely. But we call this the incubation period is that there are these players getting incubated on different teams like Treadwell right now is getting incubated. It does. 
very likely you could see Treadwell become a Devontae Adams. He moves to a different team. Uh, Thielen falls off the map. You know, who knows what happens, but he's free. You know, and he, this is a firmer, former, recent former first round rookie pick 101. He was like the top pick. I mean, this is like, are you saying all the evaluation that was done at the time is wrong? It's just completely busted. So, yeah, maybe I trade uh, Frank Gore for Treadwell. This could, there could be a team that would do that trade. So, basically, you two throwaway assets at opposite ends of spectrum where somebody's looking to fill in a flex play, where Treadwell is not going to fill a flex play for you right now, or a bi-week filler, if you will then you get them. So yes, I'm willing to take on those risks, but I'm basically making someone else take on an equal and opposite risk. Right. So that's a, I I like to look at trades from a technician type of point of view where I'm actually trying to find ways that yes, I'm taking a risk, but I'm also asking my trade partner to also take a risk. Right. And does your level of accepted risk, because as we're discussing it, we're looking at your roster as a whole. And as you just mentioned, trading, let's say, Treadwell for Gore. So that's across positions, but within a certain position. So if we're looking at just your running backs or just your wide receivers, does your level of acceptable risk change within position uh, within the position itself? Sure, absolutely. Um, and, you know, something is is if you look back, I don't think we do this enough in dynasty communities. If you look back and you look back at what was a bad trade two years ago, looks like a, either a great trade or a mediocre trade now. I mean, there's trades that I've made that I actually stopped doing this on Twitter, to be honest, because I used to get hammered. I gave up things for Devontae Freeman. Like you would, I got ridiculed. People tore me apart, you know, that I traded you traded a first-round rookie pick for Devontae Freeman. He was a second-round rookie pick last year. He sucked his year, whatever. But I believed in him, you know, and I, I put my money where my mouth is, if you will. And, uh, okay, so then I got top five production for a year or two. That was worth it to me. Now that trade all of a sudden looks at So don't be afraid to fail. I mean, that to me is the worst thing you can do is think that in the moment player evaluations are going to hold up all the way through. So never be afraid to, you know, pick it and stick it. You know, if I made a commitment that I like Keenan Allen over Jeffrey. That was something I, uh, people looked at as a bad trade. It's not looking so bad right now, in my opinion. So, I mean, and it can go both ways, but you, you got to expect that variance. You got to expect you're going to hit some, lose some. I mean, you just, without doing it, and if you just fear risk, then you're never going to make any trades. And, you know, what's that old Jordan saying? Uh, you know, you miss all the shots you don't take or something. You miss mm-hmm, right. all the shots you don't take. So, I mean, you got to do it. I mean, I don't fear risk at this point. So we've just discussed trading a little bit. Now, since we've been in touch, I've done this exercise with all, I guess, just close to 15 of my rosters now. Um, so I'm going to throw you in my shoes for just a second and elaborate a little bit on this trading aspect. So let's go ahead and say that one of my rosters, which I found this to be probably three or four of my rosters and have since changed, um, were a little too heavily allocated in the aging vet fund. Uh, what, where are you going from there? If you want, we could use real players to have like three names. Give me three names. Sure, yeah. Fitzgerald, LaShawn McCoy, 
and is is AJ Green still in the core or no. or are we yeah I mean he's on the threshold right so he's mm-hmm. probably still in your core depending who else is sitting in your core like if you have Keenan and Brandon Cooks or something like that AJ Green's probably still hanging in your core and hopefully you have someone close that's coming up into your core that AJ Green will be moving out but. So generally speaking, depending on the age of your core as well. So like if you have, you know, Golden Tate can be somebody that's still in your core, but isn't exactly young, right? Like a Keenan Allen could be sitting in your core, but he's young. So it depends on the overall age of your roster. But I would say, generally speaking, AJ Green someone that you could try to start to flip for somebody a little bit younger. And, and you might have to give up something to do that, right? But say, for instance, you did an aggressive mood where you took AJ Green, your first round rookie pick for Keenan Allen. I would say that'd be viewed as aggressive and you're really putting heavy assets into Keenan Allen, but you're getting younger at the same time. So you're trading away a player that's getting older. And then, and and to be honest, what happens is um, let's make the analogy that your older players pool there is getting to be a horse pill. It's too hard to swallow. That's it's it's hurting you. It's weighing sure. you down a little bit. But as soon as you make AJ Green into Keenan Allen, now you know that boat starts getting a little bit more even, right? Now you're not too much like this. Even though you still got McCoy and Fitzgerald, which now becomes more palatable, and you've leveled off the age of your mid group, so you still do want to kind of keep those two together and how um, one can help the other depending on the age of both groups. So, but those players that you mentioned, I would probably investigate trading Fitzgerald first and hold on to AJ Green. But certainly we're talking about two different levels of assets, right? AJ Green with a something a little extra could get you Keenan Allen, but Fitzgerald, even with the first, isn't getting you Keenan Allen. So it depends on your philosophy and how much you want to build and get those marquee names. But you could probably turn Fitzgerald plus first for maybe Tyreek Hill or something like that, where they're not necessarily a marquee or Cooks. Maybe Cooks is a better people. There's some people wavering on Cooks value. Maybe they're looking to kind of get their assets in, in, a, in a such that they can go by the next cooks in their mind. So there's ways to do it. And it kind of depends on who's in your league, you know, who's willing to trade and what kind of players and things like that. I mean, identifying your, your trade partner and uh, targeting those guys is uh key. Right. And then I want to use one more instance as a, as an example, one more owner shoes that I'm going to throw you in. And this is also a question that I ask. It seems like almost on a weekly basis now, because this is the problem that I'll run into if I won 15 out of 15 championships, which obviously you're lucky to win one. But I'm just saying if you were trying to build your roster in such that you gave. 40% to your aging vet fund. What are you doing then? So you increased your allocations to your vet fund at this point. Who cares? Screw it. I'm going for the championship. You win the championship. What do you do now? Are you going to flop 40% to now your prospects fund maybe so that you can almost like a productive rebuild or how are you going to go about that? Yeah. So let's think about in terms of exposure, you've exposed yourself to to potentially losing a large portion of your roster 
as soon as next year. Let's make it worst case scenario. Let's say you have Fitzgerald, McCoy, Lynch. Uh, places like Lynch, where like next year, three, four, five players could be gone. And that's exposing yourself greatly. Now, I either want to have a really strong Keenan, Adams, Cooks type three to go with those guys where they're still producers, they're still marquee names, they're still going to be the core of my roster even when I lose that many older players. Or I want to have a little bit more balance in my in my youth so that even if I have a down year, so let's say next year you kind of fall off the map, you're able to recover quicker. So it, it's the teams that I really worry about that have that 40% or 50% heavy age, but they've taken all of their first and second round rookie picks and completely avoided the age of the middle of the roster. So you may classify someone like uh, Marvin Jones or Golden Tate, um, someone like that where they're sitting in the middle of the core roster, but they are kind of older and they could fade out and become actually into, as you lost Fitzgerald, maybe move Tate next year into that older player pool. So now your core is now being exposed, right? You completely, it's not just 40% next year that you're going to lose. You're also losing from your middle. So you want to make sure that you're back on that, right? So you want to kind of make sure that you have a steady balance on the other two, right? So it's think of it as like a, you're reaching a little bit. So say um, you're reaching off the boat for that fish that's mm-hmm. just out of reach, right? And you're like, man, I really want to go after it. I really want to go after it, right? But you kind of want to anchor yourself on the other side a little bit stronger so that when you're reaching, you don't just completely fall out, right? So then it just makes sure that you want to make those a little bit steady. And using examples, I would say this. There's a lot of people that I observe where they go win now and they think, oh, I'll just take more flyers like Kenny Galladay, um, you know, sixth, seventh round NFL draft picks like Byron Scott or, you know, Trey, Scott, Quinn. Uh, Trey, Trey Quinn. Quinn. And they yep. take like these, like, let me just take a lot of flyers and penny stocks. It's like, that is not securing your other side, right? If you're, if like that analogy I said, reaching off the boat, you're basically reaching for something that has no anchor. There's the, you're not with this other hand, you're not grabbing anything to hold on to that is full of penny stocks. That's not a good idea, right? You want to have mm-hmm. a couple of people that at least have maybe draft pedigree or something like, you know, even if that pool is like a box full of like John Ross, Fuller, Shepard, Treadwell, guys that have gotten a little cheaper, but at least have some draft capital to s- kind of sustain themselves. So if you're overexposing yourself is, I think, the best way to look at it. You just want to have a little bit stronger on the other side. So maybe they're less fewer players, but they're better type players. Hmm. And so does this, uh, so looking at as we've discussed, looking at risk of, from of a singular roster. So now let's look at your entire, I guess, dynasty portfolio. So if you're managing multiple teams, I mean, would this same overarching, I guess, theory apply to all of your teams? So, you know, Chris, I'm going to give you a lot of kudos, man. This is a great question that nobody's really hit me on since I've had this philosophy. So I started thinking this way maybe two, three years ago in Dynasty and talking about it on Twitter. I think I did a Blueprint episode about it last year. 
and then I did the article, obviously. And, and this is one area that I probably play ignorance to is that, and and I'm going to do this as humble as possible. I have hit on the players that I over invested in. So I invested across all my leagues, like 20 dynasty leagues. I bought Freeman basically in every single league for second and third round rookie picks. And I hit. So for me, I'm not coming from a place that is probably the average, you know? So if you, if you overexpose yourself to a player and I think that's where you're hitting at is that if you overexpose yourself, say you bought Watkins everywhere and you paid up everywhere and he didn't pan out, you know, it's like, Oh crap. I didn't really experience that to be honest. I overinvested in Keenan Allen. I overinvested in Freeman. I overinvested in Antonio Brown when people were telling me that he was a sell high. I, I, I don't follow that category. So minimizing risk is again, this is all ties back to the same philosophy and you got to know yourself. If you feel like you're, you're uncomfortable exposing yourself that way, then obviously I wouldn't recommend it. But at the same time, if you feel confident in your evaluations of a player, this is like flipping a coin. One coin has nothing to do with the next one. The fact that you took risk on a player that you believe in in League A really should not impact the way you feel about Team B in a different league. If you believe in that player, you believe in that player, you know, uh, why would you go against yourself? That makes no sense to me. I believe Keenan Allen, like if I did this last year and I said, oh man, I really believe in Keenan Allen. I don't think Jeffrey's going to be a top five receiver ever. But I go in and I buy that variance in League B. Wow. I'm, you know what I mean? The, where's the intelligence in that? I just bet against myself for no reason. Just for right. what? For balancing risk? I don't get that mentality. So it's not the way I play. But I do understand the, I guess, um, the desire to feel cozy about your exposure. And and, and so I, I fundamentally can understand where somebody's coming from if they want to play that way. And I fully support it if that's what you feel strongly or, or like I talked about before, you got to know what you're good at. If you're good at um, – mitigating your exposure risk, then all, by all means, you know, mm-hmm. don't overinvest in a player across the board. But at the same time, my home league is called player go home. This is my philosophy in, in all aspects of fantasy football, DFS, uh, redraft, best ball dynasty, no matter what I do, uh, player go home, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but statistically speaking, aren't you lessening your success rate anyways if you are to vary your exposure? Because then you have to hit on more players. You already did the work to hit on the first one. So I never understand when somebody approaches me in a trade and tells me that they really like a player, but they have too many shares of him. Well, if you did all the work to enjoy having that many shares and to go get that player, you're just increasing your risk because now you have to go hit on three other players that you also think are the same caliber player. That doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. It's just, it, it's a comfortable, like I put it, it's a psychological comfortableness about it that I think people have that they, 
you know, again, going back to you got to know yourself. There's some people listen to the podcast that don't take this stuff seriously like we do. You know, they're they're listening and it's casual entertainment for them. And the way they build their teams, say they only have three rosters and this is fun for them. And they bragging rights is the big deal at the home league. And they're, they're just looking for the player to buy and things like that. And so they're not really doing all that evaluation that you talked about. They're not really feeling so strongly about players the way we do. Like, you know, I'm picking a pool of like five to 10 players and I'm like putting my flag in the ground, like buy Keenan mm-hmm. Allen, buy this right. player, do that. Like you said, guys, buy mm-hmm. guys. I think probably, you know, 50 or 50% or more of the people that listen to these TED podcasts, especially now that we're getting closer to the season and there's more people that aren't 365 degenerates like we are, they aren't necessarily putting their flag in the Keenan Allen. They're saying, oh, you know, I heard this guy, Chris and Adam talking about guys. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's like people that go to the casino and they got a quarter and they're just like, play a slot like okay maybe i hit right so they're not that tied to these players like we are and the way we think about it so we need to keep that in context and perspective too right Mm -hmm. so so adam to to kind of i guess challenge what you're saying is that i think there's a mindset that's a little bit different than us that is just looking to maybe build three different teams different ways and be able to hit one and and win that way right and they're not really so committed to to certain players. Absolutely. And I would have to agree because at least for me and the way that I've built some of my best ball teams is I've tried to vary my exposure because I might be able to look at the stats and it's it's my own personal doubt in some of the things that I've come, the conclusions that I've come to. So not to say that I will always vary like my exposure because there are some there are some some players that I like. Like, for instance, like we discussed earlier, like Doug Baldwin, I think he's primed for a great year this this upcoming season. So I have quite a bit of exposure to Doug Baldwin and a couple other players as well. But I think when it comes to, as Kevin, as you were saying, when it comes to that general level of comfort, when it comes to building a portfolio, it does have at least, I guess, a, it gives you a sense of security that, okay, well, even if I have messed up somewhere along the way or even if I have completely missed up, this one sure. person is not going to kill me. Like it's not going to completely bury me, and there there is some you know I can't expect uh, at least a, a modest ROI like after ROI rather after after the season's completed. So I, there is there is something to that. I've seen someone joke on Twitter about this that they say the best way to be a dynasty analyst is to go out and get fifty teams and build them all different ways, and then quit twenty five leagues that you suck at. <laughs> you got twenty five great rosters. There's, I think this is like the wizard behind the curtain stuff. You know, people right. people uh, don't see how the sausage is made that people right. get these good rosters. And sometimes it's just by people joining a lot of leagues and you don't necessarily see what leagues they necessarily abandon. And they might build different ways and and want to change that exposure. And when, they, when it doesn't work, they just abandon the league. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a real thing. It happens. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, Kevin, I think we're winding down for the evening. And again, we want to thank you for taking the time with us tonight. Uh, So before we get you out of here, do you have any other, I guess, last minute tips for either new dynasty owners, uh, folks that are currently in it, like savvy owners that are looking forward to the 2018 season? But I mean, what, what advice would you give some of the people listening? Yeah, I mean, uh, I hate to be cliche, but have fun, man. This is like 
a hobby. This is people take this very seriously. I take it too seriously, but let me take it too seriously and you have fun, you know, so the viewers and the people out there have fun with it and don't take it so seriously. And, and I will say, if you like a player, pick a player, you know, and, and don't worry so much about ADP. I think a lot of casual players take ADP too seriously that if you want Sony Michelle on your team and you want to root for him all year, take him around early. You know, if you're doing a startup league and be damn value, you know, there is part of this that has to do with the way you play and the way you enjoy the season. And, you know, if you're a Redskins fan and you want guys and you want to root for him, then go pay a little bit extra and not just view it so, you know, strict and lose sight of the fact that this is fun because you will burn out and you'll end up not wanting to play dynasty or fantasy football in general. And then, and for the, that's kind of more on the casual side of it. But if you're on the serious side of it, um, I would try to be careful and try to generate a filter and who you're listening to. And, and there's a lot of bad advice out there, right? And if you drill yourself and only listen to, uh, one podcast or one person or one type of site, if you will. Um, it's one thing that, I mean, I'm partial to DLF, but it's one reason that I, as a subscriber, I was so committed to DLF because you had people that were doing, you know, Ryan McDowell, he's won way more dynasty championships than I have. And he punts here one all the time. He, he coined it productive struggle. So hmm. That is a philosophy that you can find on DLF, but there's also people that will be like a little maybe like me, especially years ago or, or, or similar to Adam, is that we we want to win now at all costs and tomorrow's tomorrow. So there's different ways and different ways to play. And there's different ways to win. And there's always um, multiple ways to skin the cat, if you will. Without a doubt. And uh, Adam, before we get out here, out of here tonight, do you have any other uh, things for the folks or any announcements? Sure. Yeah. So I always talk about how I'm looking at it from an actual real life money perspective. But the reason we've done this podcast and the reason that I took Kevin's idea and went and did it with every one of my rosters is because I'm worried about winning in the future too. It's also not cost efficient to win the first year to pay for the next three, but then suck for the next six or whatever after that too. So it's not easy enough to just say, well, you know, to hell with what they said. I want to win now because Adam said that you might as well win your money. And then no, you, you can continue to win after you win now. And I also want to mention Please never do anything because a fantasy analyst told you to do it. Always, always, always find your own justification, even for really, really smart people. Um, just because Ryan told you that he thinks Alvin Kamara is RB3, we'll go justify that Alvin Kamara is RB3. And then, you know, then Alvin Kamara is your RB3, not just because somebody told you that. So always go double justify almost and then just to get us out of here um please go like rate review subscribe we've got the the twitter handle going we just reached over 300 followers so that's impressive it's at at dynasty manual and we're also at dynasty pregame on youtube so we really appreciate you guys joining in and i'm at dhh underscore adam and i really don't think that Folks need to know where you're at, Kevin, because I know you have such a massive following. But for everybody that might not know who you are, uh, right now I'm going to end the call. (laughs) Everybody knows who you are. 
There's nah, no man. way that people listening to this show would not know who you are before this. No but way. for those people that don't, where can they find you at? Yeah, so um, my my podcast has a landing page, uh, Dynasty League Football. You can find it there somewhere, but at the underscore FF underscore engineer. And Carl has gave me a lot of crap about those underscores. Uh, <laughs> Carl Savchik. Sounds about right. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, at the underscore FF underscore engineer. You can find me there. I've got links to the podcast and everything's everything's pretty much centralized on Twitter now for me. But the podcast is on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all the different formats. DLF got it out there pretty wide. So Player FM. Uh, Podbean, you know, it's it's pretty much all over. So you can find. And you had a Roto Hack on latest, and uh, who else? Uh, Raybon, Raybon was this week. Uh, yep. uh, last week, that one kind of blew up because uh, Evan retweeted it. But so uh, you know, Evan Silva gets a gets a gives you a shout out. It gets pretty wild. But so yeah, the Raybon yeah. episode got pretty popular. Uh, that was really cool. We talked about all different types of formats so we leveraged his sports betting and dfs acumen to to talk about dynasty and how we can leverage that and fill our bye weeks and end of the roster type players so that was a really good pod i had roto hack george criticos on uh travis may uh before that evan silva uh cynthia freeland matt Harmon. Uh, you know, I don't want to keep name dropping, but you get an idea how different the types of people. That's the reason I want to mention those names. Is that I interviewed DFS people last year. I did Andrew Brandt. I did Peter Jacobs, who is um, DFS king, high stakes mm-hmm. DFS king. Uh, so he's, you know, I'll pull from anybody, man. I want to mm-hmm. interview them all. Absolutely. I think that helps build. I mean, if you're into, I'd say not just fantasy football, but just football in general. I mean, I think you've hit almost, I mean, all the high points in terms of how you can better understand uh, both the fantasy and actual football like perspectives, like for, for the game itself. So again, Kevin, uh, we thank you again for, uh, for coming on tonight. And uh, for all the folks listening, either live on YouTube or picking us up on iTunes and what have you, again, we thank you, thank you guys for taking a uh, listen to the pod, and we'll catch you guys next week. When it hits, you feel no pain, praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid, read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty, it's automatic.